Hello, and welcome to the Focus Church Podcast. Here you can find all of our weekly messages. We trust that God will speak to you today. Enjoy the message. Well, I have the privilege of wrapping up our sermon series on Joseph today. We took a break last week because it was Vision Team Sunday. But today, I'm going to do my best over the course of the next five or six hours to just kind of wrap up everything when it comes to this story of Joseph. And just a quick recap, because again, we took a break last Sunday. I'll catch everybody up. Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons. And he has a dream. God gives Joseph a dream. And in the dream, the dream was about that one day his father, his mother, and all of his 11 brothers would bow down to him. He brags and overshares about that dream. And in doing so, his brothers get a little mad. They take him. They sell him as a slave to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he begins to work under a man named Potiphar. The Bible says that Eventually, Potiphar gave everything, every piece of ownership to Joseph. Potiphar didn't have to worry about a thing. And two weeks ago, I don't know if you remember this, but two weeks ago, we learned that Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph and attempted to sleep with Joseph. Joseph rejected the temptation, ran the opposite direction, and Potiphar's wife was mad, just like Joseph's brothers We're mad. Potiphar's wife goes back to Potiphar and says, Joseph tried to sleep with me. She lied. And then we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39, verse 19. The text reads this. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. Remember, she lied. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. And we're going to talk about that today. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden, verse 22. Before long, the warden, just like Potiphar, put Joseph in charge of all of the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Let's pray real quick. God, I pray that you would use this text to teach us to not waste the waiting. In Jesus' name. David Guzik, commentator, writes in his book that in this portion of Joseph's story, we see three things. We see mercy in this, because if Potiphar had believed his wife, he would have certainly put Joseph to death. We can see injustice in this, because Joseph suffered for somebody else's sin. And we can also see God's hand in this. All of this moves God's story forward putting Joseph in the place where he can eventually save his family and the whole world from the up-and-coming famine. You know, it's interesting, when we read the story of Joseph, the tendency is to over-glamorize his story. A lot of times we see the highlights, we see that he found favor with God, we see that he had a coat of many colors, we see that he was Potiphar's right-hand guy, we see that he was a dream interpreter later on, and we see that one day he would save Egypt. 
we only see, or we rather, we only focus on the highlights of Joseph's story, but it's actually in the valleys of his story where God tends to do the most work. It's actually in the waiting in between the highlights where God does the work, not just in the miraculous moments. Now, was Joseph loved by God? Absolutely, he was loved by God. Did he have favor with God? Of course, Joseph had favor with God. Was God with Joseph wherever he went, whether it was with his brothers in slavery in Potiphar's house or in prison or later on back in Egypt in the palace? Absolutely, he had favor. But what we don't realize was there's a season in life where Joseph was in prison. And if we're not careful to look upon the context and really inspect the text here, we can quickly read over this portion where it says Joseph was put in prison. In fact, commentators, theologians and, uh, believe that Joseph was in prison for a week. Joseph was in prison for a month. In fact, upon speculation and the studying of the scripture, they've concluded that Joseph would have been in prison for about 10 years. 10 years. That means that part of Joseph's destiny and part of his purpose and the thing that God would eventually call him to do, a 10-year gap in his story, he's in chains and in prison. A lot of times we want the miracle, but we don't want to spend the time in the development stages of our life. We want the purpose and we want the destiny, but how many of us are with 10 years in prison, but all the while, God was up to something. 10 years in prison, but all the while, God was working. I did some research upon ancient prison systems and ancient uh, jails, especially surrounding Egypt, and it was quite different from how we would view prison. In fact, it says this, that they weren't focused on uh, punishment, rather the, the jails and the prison systems were focused on reprogramming. They wanted their criminals to enter the prison system, get retrained, taught, and then sent out as good citizens. They were not looked upon as problems, rather as students that needed teaching. And maybe you don't know this, but a lot of times they would only send the people that they thought had the potential to be retrained and re-enter into civilization as good citizens. Those were the only ones that they would send to prison. If you did a crime and they didn't believe in you, you were just quickly put to death. And I believe that if it wasn't for God's hand over Joseph's life, Potiphar should have killed Joseph because of the lie. But it was rather God's hand and God working in Potiphar that would send him not to death, but to prison. Ten years in prison. Here's the problem with a lot of Christians. A lot of us think that we're in prison. We feel locked up. We feel chained up. We feel abandoned and neglected. And so we assume in our flesh that God has left me. He's abandoned me. Therefore, I must be in prison. You might not be in prison, you're probably just, God is probably just trying to prepare you instead of you being in prison. Here's what I wrote down in my notes. You might not be in prison, you are actually in preparation. You see, while you're in the waiting, that's the time for God to prepare you for the next season of your life. It's in the waiting that God does the most work. And listen to this. I don't know if this is discouraging or encouraging for you this morning, 
But waiting is a huge portion of walking with God. In fact, you will probably, I'm going to leave church so discouraged today. You will probably be waiting more oftentimes than you see physically God working. But don't be so naive to think that God is not working while you're in the waiting. Listen to this for a moment. Abram was 75 years old. All of a sudden, God comes down in a dream to Abram and says, Abram, you're going to have a son. And that son didn't come nine months later. That son didn't even come nine years later. It was 25 years later between the time that God gave Abram a dream and the son came to pass. It was 25 years of waiting. Abram was a hundred years old. Holy smokes. Sarai was 90 years old when they finally had Isaac. Moses spent his first 40 years in Egypt and then the latter 40 years in the wilderness before God ever returned him back to Egypt. He was 80 years old before God began to use him. David, King David, was anointed between the ages, scholars believe, of 10 and 15 years old, yet wasn't anointed as king over Israel until he was 30 years old. And if that's not enough for you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ didn't perform his first recorded miracle until he was 30 years old. I hate to tell you this, but a huge portion of walking with God is waiting on God. A huge portion of walking with God is waiting on God. Here's what Lamentations chapter 3 verse 26 says. It says, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I'm sent from heaven here to release your, your anxiousness and, and your fear and your worrying in the waiting. The Bible says it is good. Say it's good. good. It's good to wait for the salvation of the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Not only is it good to wait quietly on the salvation of the Lord, but rather when you wait, you will also be given strength. Psalm 27, 14 says this, wait on the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. If you follow my wife and I's journey, we're in a waiting season. We have two beautiful children. Elliot is six. Amelia is four. And it was about three years ago that the Lord put on our hearts to have a third child. And so we began praying and practicing, come on, somebody. <laughs> and about three years ago, we, we, we said, okay, this is... And, and, and it wasn't like a flesh thing. It wasn't like, man, we just want this for, for prideful reasons or because everyone else is having third kids and, and we feel like two is enough. It was like, no, no, we, we, we believe that, that the Lord put on our hearts a third child. And so we attempted to have this third child and it was the year 20 or 21 and, and we miscarried. And, it, and it's hard to know the exact number of times we miscarried, but we miscarried a couple of different times over those two years. And, and last year, 
And I preached on this a few months ago if you were here at church in July. But last year, we, we had a, uh, uh, my wife became pregnant again. And we, the Lord actually at week six spoke to me that the baby was a boy. This was before we ever found out from the nurses that he, he was. And the Lord spoke to me that he is a boy. And the Lord spoke to me that his name will be Joseph. And I'm still learning all about how, how and why God spoke those things to me. Because on week 12, uh, we, we found out, I'm sorry, week 15, we found out that the baby had passed away at week 12. We went in for the ultrasound, and, and they, there was no heartbeat. It was, and, and then we had to have surgery and all these things. And it was a traumatic season of our life, especially when we felt like God had put a third child on our hearts. And I think if, if, I, if I was immature, I would blame and I would get angry and I would get frustrated, but I've walked with God, not a long time, but, but long enough to know that God has done more in my wife and I in the waiting than if he would have just gave us that child immediately. Am I, am I preaching to anyone today? Our faith has developed more in the waiting season that, than would have just happened if God immediately gave us that, that third child. I'm not the same man I, I am today than I was three years ago because I went, I'm in a waiting season of my life. And when I'm, in a, when I'm in a waiting season of my life, God is doing the most work in my heart. He's doing the most work in my wife's heart. He's doing the most work in my heart. He's doing the most work in our children's heart. In fact, our son, Elliot, uh, he's, a, he's a great kid. In fact, every single month, sometimes, sometimes and it's painful, sometimes every other week, He'll come to my wife and I in tears, and he'll say, I miss the baby. He's six years old. And what I have to, what I have to remind my six-year-old is, listen, God's not finished with our story yet. We're just in a waiting season. And son, it's in the waiting season where God can teach us things that he wouldn't be able to teach us had we not been in this season. So here's what I believe. I believe that there are three things that God taught Joseph, that God is teaching me, and that he wants to teach you in the waiting season. If you're still with me, say yeah. yeah. There's three things that God wants to teach you in the waiting season. The first one is this. The Lord wants to teach you faith. Come on, say faith. The Lord wants to teach you faith. The reality is, is that anything that God wants to do in your life Rather, anything that you want God to do in your, in your, wife, in your life or in your wife, <laughs> anything that you want God to do in your life, it's, it's going to take you longer than you want. That's just how God works. And it's in, the, it's in the space between the promise of God being told and that promise fulfilled is called faith. And so three years ago, the Lord put us, put a baby on our hearts. And so from that time until the time that by faith we would have this third child, the season that we're in is called faith. And, and oftentimes faith is a four letter word and it's spelled W-A-I-T. It's spelled wait. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Listen to this. When I was eight years old, and I've shared this story uh, maybe six months or a year ago, when I was eight years old, 
My, my father was an associate pastor in Bellevue, Nebraska. If you know where that is, come find me after church and we can connect over Bellevue, Nebraska. He was an associate pastor, a little bit like what I am today for Pastor Mike. He was for Pastor Gary back in the 90s. And this, the church actually back then was about probably about the size that our church is now, and it's still a great church in Bellevue, Nebraska. I remember growing up in the church. I mean, I was just always in church. I used to steal the mints from the usher closet, and whenever like the new ushers would come in and they would get mad at me, I would say, do you know who my, do you know who my dad is? He tithes. Do you tithe? You know, I was that PK. And I just grew up in church all the time. I remember it was a Sunday morning and I was, I was eight years old and I was in the kids classroom. It would have been equivalent to our zoom classroom at all locations. So I was in zoom, right? And I remember our kids pastor saying at eight years old, he said, okay, everyone, there's about 50 or 60 children in the room. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment and we're going to wait on God. And I believe that when we wait on God, he's going to speak to us. So at eight years old, I'd never heard or never recognized, rather, the, the voice of God in my life. But I got down on my knees and I made my chair into an altar and I, and I prayed and I waited at eight years old. And a few moments later, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Michael, you're eight now, but when you're 23, you'll be in a full-time ministry. And when I was 23, I was in full-time ministry. But the point is, the only thing that I had to do between when I was eight and 23 was wait. Now, God wants to work in the waiting, but many times we waste the waiting season. Because instead of taking the spans between 8 and 23 to develop our faith, to develop my knowledge of the word, to develop my heart for worship, to get into a godly community, to begin serving at my church, instead of developing my faith, a lot of Christians in the waiting season, they neglect their faith and they regress to their flesh. And instead of strengthening their faith, they feed their flesh. So instead of strengthening themselves in the word of God, they go back to that escapism that, they, that plagued them in high school. Instead of going into godly community, they step into old toxic relationships that they should have left a long time ago. Instead of, instead of growing in their faith, they feed their flesh. And then when the time comes for God to pour out the blessing, God says, you know, I might have to wait on this because their faith isn't where I needed it to be. Rather, their flesh has only grown all the more. You have just two options. In the waiting season, you can work on your faith or you can feed your flesh. Don't waste the waiting season. God wants to work in the waiting season. Don't try to rush the waiting season. That's when God does the most work. You got that idea. You got that dream. You got that proposal. Don't waste. Don't rush the waiting season. That's when God works in the waiting season. You're waiting for a child? Develop your faith. You're waiting for a spouse? Start working on your faith. Start praying. God, give me a spouse with a six-figure income that's six foot four and all these things. Come on, start praying, <laughs> receiving what you want to receive. You're waiting for your healing? Start reading passages of scripture that talk about healing. Am I preaching to anyone today? You got you to gotta work on your faith in the waiting season. You got to work on your faith 
in the waiting season. While you're waiting, let God grow and mature your faith, which leads to point number two. This is the second thing that, that God was teaching Joseph. He was developing his maturity. Some would say maturity. I don't know. He was developing his maturity. Here's what I got, and it's a little harsh, but Pastor Mike will be back next week. Honestly, he's not nicer than I am. Um, it says this. Many times, here's what I wrote down. Many times, God is waiting on your maturity to catch up with his promise. Many times, God is waiting on your maturity to catch up with his promise. You get offended too easily. You just, you just get offended too easily. You're breaking every relationship that God has given you. You're ruining your work environment. You get offended too easily. You misread a text message and you take offense to it. And God is like, I can't bless them with this because they're so quick to offense. You leave every church you've ever been to because someone said something that made you frustrated. And God is like, I can't, I can't bless. Um, God is waiting on your maturity to provide the miracle. Man, you don't forgive quick enough. When was the last time you said sorry? When was the last time you said sorry to your spouse? Come on, am I getting too real today? When was the last time you humbled yourself and apologized to your children for saying the thing that you should have never said? But you're too prideful and you're too, you're too quick to be offended. You're, you're too slow to apologize. And God is waiting on you to grow up. Listen, there are certain things that God has not given you nor he's given me because we haven't grown up to the place where we need to be. If God would give you these things now, you wouldn't be mature enough to handle it. I talk about my, my children a lot. I, I love them so much. I think that being a father is probably the funnest thing ever. I live, I live for Saturday mornings at 8.30 at the Wendell Park in Wreckfield uh, watching my son play soccer. I mean, I live for, I wake up hours early. I got coffee in hand. I actually, I prepared him coffee this Saturday because I thought, man, it's got to give him some energy or something. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that was against PETA or whatever. I don't know. But I gave my, my six-year-old coffee this morning. And um, I'm just, I'm wanting him to dominate. I mean, I'm there. I remember, on, this is a true story. I wasn't going to share this. But on Saturday, we were at the Clayton Field. And my daughter, Amelia, who's so fun to watch because she's four. And if you see my Instagram stories, she yells at him on the field. Get in there, Elliot. Show me some defense. Score a goal. And I'm like... She's everything that I want to say, but I'll just look like a jerk if I say it as a son, as a, as a dad. But she can say it all the time. And I love the game so much. And this was, this was just yesterday. And we were at the Clayton Field. And, and the soccer field was like three and a half miles away from the restroom. That's an exaggeration. And the game was going on. And Amelia's like, Dad, I, I have to go potty. I was like, Ugh! And so I, did, I picked her up. And I literally ran probably 200 yards to drop her off in the restroom. We, we did our thing. I, I picked her up. I ran all the way back. I probably missed like four minutes of the game. I was exhausted. I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss a single moment of my son's game. I just love being a dad. I just love being a father. It's just so fun to see your children do things that you never thought that they would do and cheer them on. And I, I, never, want, I never want to forget a memory. Like I never want to forget. And, and I bet you 
I bet you that you and I forget memories with our children way more than we think that we do, and that scares me so much. And so a few years ago, I decided that I would begin to keep a journal, like a diary of, of memories with my children. And so like anytime we have this significant event or anytime my daughter, she's four, she is nuts. Oh, she says the funniest things ever. And anytime she says a funny thing, like I just, I want to write it down because I want to remember it. I don't want to forget it. So I started keeping this journal a couple of years ago, and you can steal this idea because I think it's a good idea. But I want to share with you a journal. And can I share with you a journal entry that I wrote down? I just can I share with you real quick? Uh, three of you, I, I, okay. Can I share with you real quick? Is that okay? South Camp, I'll share it for the South Campus and for the West Campus because East Campus does not want to hear it this morning. Here's what I wrote down: 12-14-21. So this was December 14th, a few years ago. Elliot. You've been throwing up and have had uh, some massive stomach issues the last few days. It's been really bad. Your mom has been a champ. Last night, your stomach was hurting really bad. You were crying for me in the middle of the night, so I helped you into the bathroom. Then you asked me to sleep with you. Amelia went with mommy, and you and I slept together. Right before we went back to sleep, we prayed for Jesus to heal you. Right after we prayed, you slept the rest of the night without any pain. Son, Jesus healed you. I hope you already remember this moment and can look back and see God's protection over your life. Why do I write these things down? Partially because I want to remember them. The other portion is I don't want my son to go a day in his life without knowing that God has been with him since the time that he was born. I don't want my daughter to ever think that she's been abandoned by God. She might be in waiting seasons of her life, but it's when it's in the waiting seasons that God tends to do the best work. And it would, what I plan to do is I plan to print out, I've got pages and pages and pages and pages of memories now over the last three or four years. And I, I plan to have, I mean, there's going to be hundreds of pages by the time that I give this to them. Because what I want to do is, is when they bring home their first child or right before they're, they're going to have their first child, what I want to do is I want to I print out all these memories in a book. And I want to give this book to my children and see, listen, now it's time for you to make your own memories. But what if I, what if I printed out the book today? and gave it to my children tomorrow. Well, they're in a, a season of their life where due to lack of maturity, they're not able to appreciate and manage and comprehend the gift from their father to them. If I were to give them this book right now, they wouldn't know what to do with it. They wouldn't fully understand the weight and the pricelessness of my words to them. Yet if I wait 20 years, and I wait in, until the due season of their life, and I wait until they're at a point of maturity in their life, when I give them this book, oh, it's going to mean so much to them. I can envision it now. They're going to be in tears. This is going to be probably the, the best gift that they could ever receive outside of Jesus. And, and some of you God has written plans and blessings and, and destiny in a book for you. He's just waiting on your maturity to be able to give it to you. He's wanting to see if you can steward the next season. 
He's wanting to see if you can steward the next season. God won't give you a miracle you're too immature to manage. Here's the final point, stewardship. God wants to teach you faith. He wants to teach you maturity, and he wants to teach you stewardship. John, you can come. Here's what I wrote down in my notes. Faith is what sustains us in the waiting. Maturity is what develops inside us in the waiting. And stewardship is what God needs from us to end the waiting. Let me say that one more time. Faith is what sustains us in the waiting. Maturity is what develops inside us in the waiting. And stewardship is what God needs from us to end the waiting. If you look through Joseph's life, you're going to find 10 different tests that he faced. He had the pit test, the prison test, the purity test. He had all, he had 10 different tests and every single one of them was overcome by stewardship. I know it's not fancy language today on stewardship. That's how you're going to, I know it's not fancy. I know it's not going to get a lot of tweets or Instagram stories, but you learn to steward the current season of your life and it's at that moment that God will release you into the next season of your life. Here's what happened with Joseph. Watch this. Remember this. When Joseph first received the dream, remember he first received the dream, what did he do? He mismanaged it. He bragged about it. He didn't steward it correctly. And it got him thrown in the pit. It got him thrown in slavery. Years later, 13 years later, he's in prison, Genesis 39, and we don't have time to read this portion of the story. You're going to have to read it this afternoon in your Bible. But what would happen is while Joseph is in prison, there's a couple of men who have dreams. And Joseph interprets the dreams. And then through that interpretation, eventually Pharaoh has a dream. They remember Joseph in prison. They go to Joseph, and God uses Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dream, which leads him out of prison. The mismanagement of one situation, God redeemed to release him from prison. The dream was both the thing that got him in slavery and the thing that got him released from prison. God is waiting, God was waiting on Joseph to see if he could steward the dream. One quick story and then I'm gonna finish. I shared with you last week the first portion of the story about when I was a youth pastor in Miami for two years and I was not only overseeing the youth ministry, but I was overseeing all the grounds and the facilities and cleaning and mowing, mowing the yards and stuff. And I kind of communicated last week that it was a tough season of my life. It was a very hard season of my life. And I felt like I was in this waiting season and it was two years in and there was just a lot of, a lot of tension between the lead pastor and I, and, and I was immature. I mean, I was 22 years old, so obviously I, I knew everything, and, and I, was a lot, I was immature. It wasn't all his fault, and, but there was just tension, and I was so frustrated. I was burnt out, and many times I considered uh, leaving ministry altogether. And I was with my mentor about two years in, just so frustrated and so distraught. And I said, what, what is God doing in my life? I'm, just, I'm in this waiting season, and nothing is, nothing is going as planned. And he said, and I'll never forget this conversation. He said, what have you not learned? I said, first of all, how dare you? 
Or second of all, explain. Like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and, and he's like, well, tell, tell me a little bit about what's going on. I said, well, I'm, 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 I'm ministering to the, to the students on Wednesday night. I'm, I'm cutting the grass. I'm, I'm taking care of the facilities. And I said, I'm serving the Lord. He said, stop, that's it. He said, you're serving the Lord, but you're not serving the leader that God has appointed over you. And he said, you need to start serving your pastor because God has put him over you. Not because he's perfect, because nobody's perfect. I mean, you think I'm perfect? I'm so not perfect. You need to start serving your pastor because that's whom God has put over you. So I came, I came back from that conversation. I began serving my pastor, whatever he needed, just serving him in love, serving him, not just serving the Lord. Yes, I was doing that, but also serving my pastor. And it was two weeks later that my wife and I were laid off. He said, there's no more money in the church's account. We'd love to have you continue as volunteers, but we can no longer have you here. We love you so much. And it was God releasing me. And that's how I ended up here. But do you understand, it wasn't until I was able to steward what God had entrusted me with until he released me to my next season. And there are things that God has for you, but he's waiting to see if you'll steward what you currently have. I'll finish with this. If you're single waiting on a spouse, how are you stewarding your relationship with Jesus? How are you stewarding your credit score? Come on, somebody. How are you stewarding your job? How are you stewarding your finances? If you are married waiting for a healthy marriage, how are you stewarding your words to your spouse? How are you stewarding your time with your spouse? How are you stewarding your affection and your forgiveness towards your spouse? How are you stewarding your home? If you are waiting on children, how are you stewarding your health? How are you stewarding your faith? How are you stewarding the promises of God in your life? If you're waiting on provision, how are you stewarding your generosity? Are you even tithing? Maybe God has this business idea for you. Maybe he's got this influx of wealth that he wants to put your way, but you haven't even been first obedient in the stewardship of tithe. How are you stewarding? Because it's in the stewardship that God leads us to the next season. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We take a moment, we lift our hands, and we just say, thank you for the waiting season. I'm not trying to rush the wait. Lord, no longer are we trying to rush the waiting season. We're grateful for it. And Lord, whatever you want to do in the waiting season, we give you permission to do. Increase our faith. Mature us into the men and women that you've called us to be. And let us be good stewards as Joseph would become. We thank you for the waiting season. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we clap our hands for God's word today? Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. This ministry is made possible because of the generosity of many people like you. To partner with us, you can click the link in our description or visit gifttofocus.com. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe now and share it with a friend. For more inspirational content, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash focus church. Join us next week for another incredible message.